So just how easy, or more realistically, how difficult is the energy transformation going to be for Australia as we switch from fossil fuels to renewables with the aim of reaching net zero by 2050? Who are going to be the winners and losers? And does being a sizable energy exporter in the old way of doing things put us behind the pack in the race for the new way of doing things? And how are we going to pay for this transition? And what impact is the transition going to have on the broader economy, good or bad? All of that in today's Weekend Edition. The Morning Call from NAB with Phil Dobby. The Weekend Edition. Well, Australia's lucky right now in that we are a net exporter of energy, but a lot of that energy is fossil fuels and a lot of that is coal. So 10,346 petajoules in the year 20 to 21. That's enough energy to support the needs of almost half a million households, according to Energy Australia's numbers. But that's Australian households. Uh, It'll be more where energy appetite is much less. And that is coal. Then we export gas, crude oil, LPG, all creating revenue for the Aussie economy. So how do we transition away from that? And how do we change our own consumption patterns? Again, in the year 2020 to 21, renewables accounted for just 8% of our energy use. 65% was based in oil and coal. So it's a long road to a renewable future, but the future isn't that far away. Uh, Virginia Christie is a governing body member of the WA's Economic Regulation Authority, the independent body that regulates electricity, gas, water and rail in that state. And before that, she had years at the Treasury and the Reserve Bank. In fact, she was at the RBA during the years of the mining boom. So she is well placed to reflect on how this energy transition that we are about to embark on, how that's going to compare with the golden years of the mining industry in WA. So first off, Virginia, I mean, Australia is committed to net zero by 2050. More importantly, 82% renewable energy by 2030, which is just seven years away. So, I mean, what is your view? And we should add that these are your personal views uh, rather than, you know, who you're working uh, for or with at the moment. But do you think we're going to make that? It's quite a big call, isn't it? Yes. Hello, Phil. Um, It certainly is a big call. A lot needs to be done between now and 2050 to meet the target. I think it's important, though, to make the distinction here what the energy transformation is and what it's not. And it's not the only factor that's needed to reach this Mm. net zero emissions target by 2050. So it's clearly one of the most important things we can do. But but perhaps you should think of it as a subcomponent of decarbonisation because... Well, it's sort of like the supply component, isn't it? It's how we consume yes. energy as well is the other element of it, but it's what it's it's the supply side of that. But, it's I mean, it's a significant part of the picture, obviously. It's a significant part of the picture. But, um, you know, on top of that, organisations also need to reduce their own carbon footprint in ways unrelated to the energy sector. Um, but but just going back to your, to your position, um, I think... You know, it's it's hard to opine if we're going to make it. Ideally, we'd be a lot further advanced than we are. Um, and at this stage, we just need to move ahead. Um, yeah. We do, we do yeah. know a so- few things. We do know a few things, though, and I think it's important to understand what we know and what we don't know. Um, we do know that we're time-constrained. We're, we're, we're facing a massive funding task ahead of us with the transformation. And um, and the other thing that is needed is a is a coordination effort across all stakeholders, both public and private. And these three elements, in my mind, are critical to the success of it. So, well, okay. So let's look at the money aspect of all of that. Just how much is required? I mean, because it is a massive investment 
required. I mean, do we have actually have, has anyone come up with a number? Has anyone put a figure in saying, well, okay, to transition our energy requirements uh, to, uh, to renewables by this target yes. is going to cost this much? Is there a magic number out there anyway? Yeah, look, there are, there are estimates out there and the estimates um, that it's going to cost hundreds of billions of dollars to a couple of trillion dollars between now and 2050. And how, how does that compare with the money that was spent in investment at the height of the mining boom? Yes, yeah, so so mining investment boom was roughly around 200 billion. So that it wasn't insignificant either. It was clearly very stimulatory for the economy, but it happened over a much shorter time period. And I think the other thing to note about my, the mining investment boom was that it was specific to the mining states and territories that, that were resource rich. Whereas the energy transformation in this case, it's it's not state-based, it's nationally based, and it's also going to be globally based. So there's a global race. Um, everyone's wanting to do it at the same time. Yeah. And the un the unknown here is is how competition for resources are going to play out around both availability and cost. Well, we do know that it's going to get worse the closer we get to that target as well, because we're not the only ones aiming for 2050. So uh, the closer you get to that, if everyone's sort of like delaying and delaying and not getting their house into order, the closer we get to that, whatever the demand for resources is now, it's going to be much more intense the closer to that deadline. Yes, without doubt. It's it's going to be quite difficult. You know, we have limited resource. We're a small economy with limited capacity. And, and in fact, we're already starting to feel some constraints. So I think shortages are going to become more apparent. You know, it's it's also interesting, I think, to note um, the starting position and how different it was from the mining boom to the start of this energy transformation. So the economy before the mining boom, we had spare capacity. But today, you know, unemployment unemployment rates are pretty low. Um, wages are starting to accelerate. Uh, there are these skill shortages that are starting to emerge in engineering and, and engineering's in high global demand. So, you know, capacity is tight as a starting point and that's just domestically and, and then we look globally and we've got the supply chain bottlenecks starting to emerge because other countries are starting to move ahead to secure supply. So it's really not going to take long before the economy reaches its limits as it did during the mining boom. And to undertake this transformation, what are those resources that are needed? So, and I'm probably oversimplifying mining, but I mean, mining is pretty much dig it up and ship it out. Uh, this is, uh, you know, a domestic play. It's, it seems like it's going to be a lot more sophisticated, a lot more complex. So what are those resources that we need to gather or develop to make this all work? Maybe uh, if I explain what the energy transformation is and where the investment is needed, then you can get a better sense of what inputs will be required for it. Um, so, you know, I think I think people are aware of the large scale investment that's going to be required in renewables for generation, right? So the the large scale wind and solar and hydro to generate the electricity, um, and as well as that, the energy storage that's needed, you know, on the days that the sun doesn't shine and the wind doesn't blow. So we have the storage of the renewable energy to put back into the electricity grid when it's needed. So 
There's a big awareness of the investment spend around that. But the other big component to the transformation that I think is less well understood are the very large investments that are required um, in electricity transmission networks. And this, in simple terms, are kind of like the poles and wires that are needed to transport the electricity from the generators through to the grid. And the WA government, Phil, has estimated that we will require around 4,000 kilometres of new network transmission in a very big chunk of the state in this is the southwest interconnected system. So this area spans from Perth to Albany to Kalgoorlie to Kalbaris. It's a big part, but it doesn't account for the entire state's needs in the north of the state in the Pilbara. And so we need we need this transmission from the distance almost between Perth to Sydney, and this is in transmission alone. It doesn't tell you anything about generation and that's where a lot of the large investment spend is needed right. particularly in a country our size i guess yes yeah yes. so so all so all of that becomes a cost uh, for which obviously you're looking for a return with the mining boom i mean it was relatively straightforward wasn't it because we had you know it, i mean it's relatively you know the, the the payback in mining is obviously good uh, and it was an export market for australia as well uh, but even then, we had to, you know, we struggled to get enough money, enough investment to meet the speed of the progress of the industry. I'm imagining the payback on this is going to be less, but we need this massive investment. And we're facing the, you know, challenges from all over the world as well, whereas before we you sort of had a bit of a unique head start. So actually getting investment when the payback may not be so great. I mean, is that going to be a big problem for us? Well, there's a global race to attract the funds that are needed for the investment projects to start with. So it's really the size, the quantum of the funds that are needed, yeah. I think, is is the issue here. And, it's the, um, and it, the payback is largely for domestic production, whereas in mining it was primarily for export dollars. So, I mean, is there as much of an upside? Well, you're right that there's likely to be a, a big domestic spend um compared to the mining boom. But again, I think it's we need to think of it in terms of the quantum of the spend. And and whilst there will be a large domestic spend, I also don't want to give any false illusions that it's purely domestic because, of, because a lot of the kit is going to need to be imported unless we can find the capability and skills to build it. Yeah. And it has to be done quickly. Well, it, it does, doesn't it? So that raises the question. You, you talked about how there's this demand for labour and do we have enough of the right people? Uh, they're going to be demanding high wages. We're buying stuff from overseas. That's going to be sold at a premium because there's demand from all over the world. I mean, isn't that just a, a real danger that we are going to see uh, rapid inflation as a result of all of this over the next few years? Oh, I think I think that's very right. I think there's a very large inflation risk. Um, the other point to note about inflation is that it's not only going to be challenging for the RBA in terms of inflation coming through the domestic or global channels, the, also the starting point for inflation is very high. So inflation rates are already around 6%, well above the target band of the RBA of 2 to 3%. So they have to deal with that issue and they've got this massive investment spend in front of them. So I think it's going to be very challenging to deal with that. And and when I say it's challenging and you think about the flow-on effects through the economy, we only have to look back 
to the mining boom and see how quickly, you know, we saw cost escalation, we saw, um, and that was either through wages or inputs, uh, we saw that, you know, mining, non-mining companies really found it difficult to compete against the mining sector. So, um, they, at best, in, in some sense, they had flat demand for their output or services, and yet these input costs were rising because of inflation. So, um, the transmission mechanism or the way, the, the speed at which inflation feeds through the economy is very fast. And, uh, and given the situation with the transformation, you know, I, I don't see how it's going to be any different. But prices obviously go up to to slow demand. You know, there's not enough of whatever it is you're trying to buy. So prices go up to, you know, to try and get that supply uh, demand match happening. But we can't slow demand because we've got a target to reach. Yes. And so, it is, so does everybody. So does everybody else. Yes. So I'm not quite sure how you contain that 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 inflation number. I'm sure it's there, but it, it, it's an issue, isn't it? I mean, ultimately, which gets back to my first question: uh, if there's so much demand that it becomes inflationary, are we actually going to meet those targets? I mean, there's got to be a question mark hanging over it. Yes. Well, it's also a question mark of how. Um I guess the central bank's going to respond to that inflation risk as well. Mm. And if, and usually, you know, the situation is that if inflation increases, then you'd expect interest rates are going to rise. Yeah. So is that the right response this time around, given uh, that we know the factors that are, that are driving it? And I'm not expecting you to answer that, but it is the, it is the question, isn't it? We're certainly not going back to, you know, near zero interest rates, are we in, in any, any great hurry? No, I don't, I don't, I don't think we are. No, not at all. It's going to be very challenging. Uh, look, the Reserve Bank managed the mining investment boom well. They were faced with similar types of constraints coming through the economy, both um, domestically and globally, right? There was inflation pressure coming from both sources. Uh, and I think they did manage it well. Interest rates were, they estimated, around two percentage points higher than they otherwise would have been. What that means for us going through this transformation, it's all about the speed at which inflation hits the economy. And I guess this time around, I mean, the benefits are going to be more broad-based, aren't they? I mean, we are talking about a a broader range of sectors being involved in this, perhaps, but also geographically more diverse. Yes, that's that's exactly right. Um, I think the benefits of the transformation are going to be greater. They're going to be more widespread, and I think you know the regional areas of um, of the nation are going to be big big beneficiaries here. And again, it it, it comes back down to the quantum of the spend in the economy and the way that spend feeds through to other sectors of the economy. You know, it's not to say that there won't be losers just like that was realised, you know, through the mining boom either. But um, but I, I do think it's it's going to be that like the flow and effects are going to be positive and I think um, there are going to be a greater benefits more round 
than they were from the mining boom. And, and quite a chunk of foreign direct investment, I would imagine. Just as we had with, with mining, the question is how much can we attract when everybody else is going to be asking for the same sort of same sort of investment. But maybe, you know, I mean, we are a wealthy country. There's obviously lots of opportunity for growth within Australia that perhaps is unmatched in many other parts of the world. So that would be a reason to invest here because you're going to see more payback because of, you know, the, the multiplier effect, the impact it's going to have on the broader economy. You know, it really depends on the rate of return on our investment relative to the rate of return on investment offshore. So that's why we need to to speed up the pace of the investment and and be ahead of the game in some respects. I think um, it's important. But then, you know, it's also challenging for governments. They've, they're fiscally constrained. They've just come out of the experiences of the GFC and COVID and now they're facing the challenge of needing to electrify the world in a really short time in, a, in order, you know, in order to save the health of our global in- environment. So well, the, it's, mi- it's a- the mining boom, of course, was funded by companies that could see that they would get a good return. I mean, there was obviously some government involvement in terms of investment in, in infrastructure, but largely it was private sector investment. How do you see the mix for this working? I'm imagining that perhaps, the, you know, we are going to need more government money perhaps than we did during the during the mining boom, because a lot of this is, you know, what you might classify as for the, for, for the public good, particularly when you start looking at perhaps, you know, the, uh, as you're talking about, you know, the, the huge amount which is going to be needed for transmission. I wonder whether that is an area which is going to have to hit the public purse more. Yes, well, that's right. There's information and data out there by the International Energy Agency, so that's a pretty reputable authority of global energy requirements around the government spending already on the energy transformation. So they're estimating that there's been an allocation of around $1.34 trillion US dollars has been made by governments worldwide uh, since 2020. And then I found it also impressive to to find that in the past six months alone, to June 2023, another US 130 billion of new spending has been announced. So yes, the government, governments around the world are making very large commitments to this investment spend, mm. uh, but it's not an investment spend only required by the public sector. I mean, it has to come from the private sector as well. Well, for sure. I mean, we're talking about such a large money amount of money. You'd hope so, wouldn't you? So so the final question then, um, the, obviously the mining boom was very beneficial to, to the Australian economy. So is this? are we going to see a boost from this or is it potential that it could go the other way and actually this becomes a bit of a drag on the economy? Um, look, it's going to be... A big benefit. The transformation is going to be uh, is going to feed the the Australian economy in ways that we probably don't quite understand because of the size of it. Um, we can look back on the mining boom, and we can take lessons away. I think one of the things that we need to remember is quite different from the mining boom is that the purpose of the investment was to either increase capacity of iron ore and coal mines essentially, so of existing mines to increase that output, or it was to invest in uh, in LNG plants for the purpose of extracting gas uh, and exporting this offshore. So what happened in the operational phase of mining is that mining output increased sharply and that lifted productivity. But the purpose of... Um, the investment in the transformation is quite different. So we're not investing to increase output per se. We're we're increasing investment to change the inputs into the energy mix. 
So that means, you know, in my mind, I'm not really sure how productivity is going to be playing out. I think it's going to be harder to 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 experience the t- same sorts of productivity improvements as as we realised during during mining. So I guess that's one of the key differences in my mind. It's a it's a different equation to start with. Um, but then, you know, a, as I said, the the benefits that that flowed through from mining investment, it was very stimulatory to the economy. Um, we had increases in GDP, we had uh, incomes rise, we had a terms of trade, a positive terms of trade shock. And and this supported the economy in ways that I guess weren't anticipated at the time. So it was it was a very positive experience, but it 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 can't be underestimated that that this is potentially going to be much mm. larger and more widespread. Well, we spoke about the Deloitte report on the size of the opportunity of green energy a few weeks ago on the uh, on the weekend edition. Well, that was all about the the upside and how we can replace our loss in mining exports with greater growth from renewables and related industry. But what we didn't talk about was the inflationary impacts on the economy, which is what you brought up today. So thank you for adding that to the discussion. It's been fascinating stuff. Thanks, Virginia. Yeah, thanks very much, Phil. Enjoyed it. Well, that, that was useful, wasn't it? Putting things into perspective and the challenge that exists for the RBA and for the government. Interesting stuff. Now, look, next week, uh, we're looking at China on the weekend edition. Just how are things travelling for the Chinese economy? And what does that mean for the Aussie economy? Are they decoupling from us? Are we decoupling from them? Or are they wanting to build better relations with the West now, with the news that President Xi might meet President Biden in Washington later this year? So we'll talk about all of that next week on the uh, more Morning Call Weekend Edition. I'm back on Tuesday for the weekday edition, your daily update on the markets and what's driving them. We're taking Monday off for the New South Wales public holiday, but back Tuesday, so join me for that. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. See you soon. The Weekend Edition. 